0: And I remember my first entrance, opening night.
1: From Steppenwolf Theatre Company in Chicago, Illinois.
0: And I just remember thinking, oh, I got this.
1: This is Half Hour. All right. Hey, my friends, welcome back so good to be back y'all
2: yes here we go again yes we're
1: back at it already we have another episode of half hour i know episode two and this week we've got me caroline neff
2: james vincent meredith
1: and karen rodriguez karen so this week we're listening to a conversation with you and the truly legendary amy morton uh-huh, uh-huh, yep it was well obviously
3: it was amazing she's so hilarious um, a natural storyteller, super engaging. I, I didn't want it to be over. I just really wanted to do justice to her, like this portrait in time of her. I, I've i been super curious about who we are as artists outside of the thing that we do, especially during the pandemic. I, I think it's so easy to marry our identity to our art, and I've just been really interested in who we are um, outside of the way that people may know us
2: what about, like, your, you know, we're all ensemble members, but what about you personally, your relationship with Amy?
3: Well, it was a lot of, like, high and buys at the beginning because I just was always like, it's Amy. And I just didn't want to, like, make an ass out of myself because yeah. I'm prone to do that. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> what? Come on. <laughs> no, but, you know, I get nerve Like, I just get, like, tongue-tied, you know, with her. And um the, the first time that I actually really talked to her, she was at Front Bar. I had just gotten an audition for Selena, the Netflix series. So I was like, I mean, you know, I'm Mexican, y'all. Like I was like, ah! and I was so nervous. I was like, I'm going to, I already was like, I'm going to bomb this. Cause I was so, I just had a lot of anxiety and um, I said hi to her. She's like, sit down. How are you? And I just couldn't help myself. I had like ward vomit. I was like, Ugh. I was like, I'm good. Oh, I'm full of anxiety. And she literally sat down for an hour and a half just talking shooting the shit and talking about her own anxieties in front of the camera how she overcame that her tips and tricks and just like in a real sisterhood way and then uh, my favorite part was that at one point she actually was waiting for her husband rob and my favorite part was that at one point rob called her and she was like no rob yeah just i'm, I'm hanging out with god and i'm yeah no just just hang out it's okay and i was like you can go she was like oh no he's fine anyway so then i and she just like dived right in and and just gave so much of herself. And I think that that's who she is. And you really get a sense of, of that person in this interview.
1: Oh my god, that's amazing. She just has one of the best senses of humor I've ever seen. And it, it's so like amazing to me to watch how incredibly serious and grounded. And then you meet her and she's just as total, as she said, a ham and a goofball. And mm-hmm. she's got such a great, great, great sense of humor that's always wonderful and surprising. Mm-hmm. So before we dive in, is there anything else we should know before we listen? Nope. Let's fucking do this.
3: Strap in, y'all. It's a good one.
1: All right. Without any further ado, here's Karen Rodriguez and Amy Morton. Good evening, everyone. This is your half hour call. Half hour till top of show. Again, this is your half hour call.
3: Thank you. You grew up in Oak Park, Illinois. I did. Tell me what you were like as a kid. Um, I
0: was pretty goofy. I was the youngest (laughs) of five and, um, I was kind of goofy. I, and I, um, I, I, I had a big old fantasy life going on in my head. (laughs) You know, by the time you get to the last one, you know, the last one, it's not that they don't get a ton of attention. There's no hovering over the last one. (laughs) It's like somebody said the first one, when the baby, when you drop the baby's bottle, you sanitize it and you boil it. And by the last one, you just kind of kick it over and pick it up and stick it back in the baby's <laughs> mouth. It kinda, so the last one kind of gets away with stuff and at the same time yearns for a certain amount of attention. Yeah. So, um, so I had that sort of balancing act going on. So I think I, think I was a goofball. I really like to make people laugh. Uh, but I also spent a lot of time um, by myself, not in a bad way. I liked it.
3: What was the first kind of itch or inkling where you were like, where storytelling started to manifest for you and you were like, I might be a storyteller, or maybe it wasn't that articulated, but yeah.
0: it's It wasn't that articulated because I was six.
3: But my, <laughs> <laughs> but my
0: mother, um, to get me out of the house one summer enrolled me in a in a summer school drama class and I don't know why but I just took to it like a duck to water and from that moment on that's what I wanted to do what did you play I played a really goofball younger daughter younger sister of a princess of the pretty princess so I got to do all the funny shit you know (laughs) yeah and it was and I had so much fun I and I was a huge ham (laughs) bone It's it was probably the only place as a kid that I actually felt 100% comfortable. Wow. Don't ask me why. I just did. But
3: you weren't shy, right? Like you weren't I was shy. pretty
0: shy. I did, yes, I I was, I was I was I, I, yeah, I don't think I was ever an extrovert. Um I was pretty shy, especially around adults. Really tongue-tied around adults and stuff.
3: What do you think it was about you being in that imaginary world that allowed you to be someone else that allowed you to not be that shy as a six-year-old. Um, I think it's
0: because uh, uh, I think it's because w- the words were written for me. I didn't have mm. to, I didn't have to come up with words. And I guess I sensed that there was, that there was something different between onstage and offstage and that onstage was much safer than offstage. stage. <laughs> You know, I knew what was going to happen in the play, barring something unforeseen happening, but I knew what the end was going to be. And I think I was, I think that's what made it really, really comfortable.
3: So I know you were involved with Remains Theater. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that journey. And then I'm skipping a lot ahead, but, and then getting involved with Steppenwolf. Um, So I,
0: after high school, like right, actually like my last semester of high school, I did an internship at St. Nicholas Theater, uh, which was the theater that was um, created by uh, Stephen Schachter, David Mamet, and Patricia Cox, um, and Peter Schneider. And they taught Al Meisner all the time. Mm. And they... Uh, did some great plays too, some really wonderful ones. And I had seen a production in high school at that theater, and I was like, I got to study there. So then that it was it was through St. Nicholas that I got introduced to Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf was working out of the church basement in Highland Park, and they did the Fifth of July at at St. Nicholas. Stephen Schachter had seen them and went, wow, these actors are insanely good. I'm going to get them over out of the burbs and at least do one show here at St. Nicholas. So they did fifth of July and I was just blown away. And I was like, Oh my God. So that's Steppenwolf. So, (laughs) um, so I was aware and into and in love with Steppenwolf from the time I was 17 or 18.
2: Hmm.
0: So, um, and then uh, friends of mine, decided to get a company together, uh, call and it ended up being called Remains Theater. And we so we kind of grew in tandem with Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf was a little older in terms of how long they'd been established. So we were all really familiar with each other and um swapped actors all the time <laughs> for each other's shows. So uh so it, it so it was great. I mean it was wonderful. Um to Remains was a much more they they used to pigeonhole us as avant garde, and basically that's because we couldn't get the rights to the really popular shows. So we do like we do like the the Richard Foreman stuff because you didn't have to pay that much in residuals. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so it was two very different types of theater companies, which was great. And so be be able to sort of bounce back and forth once in a while was really fun. And then when remains folded, Steppenwolf was kind enough to take in an orphan.
3: Whenever I hear you talk about acting, you often talk about truth. Mm -hmm. We are truth seekers. And I'm going to quote you something that I think Uh about. This is a quote of yours. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm doing Uh this. (laughs) Uh, That I often think about all the time in my own work. And you said, um, the thing that I try to get across to students more than anything else is that, A, you are enough. You sitting on stage doing nothing is really interesting to watch as long as you're yourself. And if you're not yourself, we see right through it and you're really boring and we hate you. (laughs) (laughs) That's about right. Yeah, (laughs) which is (laughs) fucking true. (laughs) Um, So with that in mind, what has for you been a moment that was the most alive, thrilling as an actor.
0: There have been a couple and they are really special and not often. Mm -hmm. There was a show. It remains called once in doubt, and it was a a three-hander and it was myself, Billy Peterson and Jerry Becker. May he rest in peace. And it was an extremely difficult play technically. Because you had to talk really fast and the lines were on top of each other. And, and we started rehearsing in the summer, just doing the lines before we even went into official rehearsals, like in September, or October. And so, and the 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 process was very difficult and the preview process was difficult. It just was a very hard play. And I remember my first entrance, opening night, the entrance called for me walking in in a, in a fancy cocktail dress and heels, holding a tray with a tea service on it. And there needed to be a pause, right? where Where I just stare at Billy. <laughs> and I walked on stage and I was staring at Billy. And I just remember thinking, Oh, I got this.
3: <laughs> yes.
0: And I think it's because we had worked so hard on it. There was something that, that was just like, oh, oh, hey, y'all, you are going to have a great time because I feel great and completely at home. Now, I will also tell you the reverse of that. Yes,
3: yes, yes.
0: Which was, um, uh, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? in Chicago, that was a role that was very difficult for me. It wasn't particularly something, you know, um, uh, characters that are chest forward, sex forward, are much more difficult for me because that's not who I am, right? Mm -hmm. So I was having a really hard time with this role and I was getting more and more nervous to the point where I was screwing up lines, which is unusual for me, and I didn't have full voice, which is incredibly unusual for me because I don't usually have voice problems at all. And I was feeling so terrible during um, during previews, and I felt that I was letting all the actors down,
3: mm.
0: and it felt. Horrible! I hadn't felt that bad since I was like twenty. So it's it's a matinee. I'm sitting in the chair. Here comes Tracy, walking towards me, yelling at me as George, and I'm just like, oh fuck! And I'm watching him come at me, and something in my brain just went, fuck it, Mm. and 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 I thought, oh fuck the audience, fuck everybody else on stage. Fuck worrying about how everything is and how bad I am and just fuck it. And I felt my shoulders go boom down. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I got full voice in a matter of one second. He's yelling at me and I just come back at him with all the force in me. And I see him go, whoa, you know, I see him go uh, because he hadn't seen me do that yet in that play. And I think it was – I think I got to the point where I was like, I I, I either have to, like, not care anymore and fuck it, or I got to leave. Because mm-hmm. this is too painful. This sucks. This is not what I signed up for. And I don't know. The, the gods of theater just went, all right, we've been sitting on our head for too long. Get up. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It was weird.
3: And it all just clicked. Like, it was all inside you, but – yes. I will also say there was a
0: moment on Broadway during August Osage County where it was one of those performances where I felt the most like a channel than I had ever felt. Mm-hmm. I had felt like I was completely in service and the, the play was going through me and to the audience there was no manipulation on my part. And I remember walking across the stage and feeling sort of that same feeling of unbelievable power. Mm. Because I had given over, had, I don't, I was also exhausted. I, there was something about now I am just the channel, you know, and it's probably the hardest, absolutely the hardest thing is to get out of your own way in anything. Really, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, I was watching something, and I thought, what really interests me in performances and, and this is going to sound like a dic- like like opposites, but there's something about not being told everything in the performance, that there are certain things that maybe are left out or not fleshed out so that you never feel you are being told what to think or feel Mm. so that, so that there is room for the audience to insert themselves into your performance. Mm. Right. When, when some there, I've also seen performances where there has been so much research done, so much thinking about it done that I feel there's no room for me watching it that i'm i'm just receiving it i'm not participating so it's that really fine line of you better know what the fuck you're doing up there and at the same time leave it open
3: Mm -hmm.
0: and that that's that's hard too that's another Mm -hmm. task that is really hard
3: this is your 15 minute call 15 minutes till top of show thank you so you're a killer actor and you're also a killer director. I know, I'm, I'm doing it to you. I mean, I'm sorry, yeah, but you are.
0: Okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> You've directed shows like Ars of the Taj Off-Broadway, and at Steppenwolf, and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf at the Alliance Theater. What drew you to telling stories from that lens?
0: Well, I'm going to, uh, this is going to make a lot of uh, directors, particularly young directors, really mad, but it was kind of thrust upon me. Mm. I, I didn't, I had directed one show. at remains because we couldn't find a director. Um, so I did it and I liked the process and I really liked talking to actors, but um, I hadn't done it in years. And we were doing a show in the upstairs theater. This was so long ago and we lost the director like three weeks before rehearsals. He had gotten a movie or something. So it it was like, "Uh-oh." And um Martha turned to me. Martha Levy turned to me and said, "You do it." And I went <laughs> gulp. Okay. And I did it and I I I liked it. I liked it a lot and she said and so she said, "Okay, next season do this one." Hmm. So it was all her fault, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't have to ask for it. And I'm really, really lucky. I'm just really lucky, you know. But I I found that I really, you know, um, it's funny. My, my husband, who's a, a sound designer and a composer, so we have worked together quite a bit, after a, one day in tech or something, said to me, here's the thing with you being a director. You don't like... M- you don't necessarily like making all the decisions, but you want everything your way. And I said, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) But it is really, you know, acting and directing is really good crop rotation. It's just one feeds the other really, really well. And it makes you appreciate the other job all the more.
3: You've been nominated for a Tony Award for your work in Augusto, Sage County, and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And as uh, someone who I think everybody probably has uh, practiced their Tony Award-winning speech in the bathroom, air. <laughs> can you just can you tell me about that night? How was what demystify that for us, Amy? Um, it is.
0: It is. Look, I have very mixed feelings about mm. it, and and that is because I don't like awards. Um, and it's. And and I think they're, I think it's Oogie, I think. To say a performance is better than another performance is ridiculous. Um, and and in the awards season, you know, leading up to the Tonys is really a clusterfuck. It is, it is like you have to, there's this lunch and that lunch, and then there's the blah, blah awards and the blah, blah awards, and you are pressured to go to every single one of them. So, I found that exhausting Mm -hmm. and and horrid. If you're an extrovert and if you're a party person, people have a blast. But I am not. And it, it just filled me with anxiety. That being said, by the time I made it to the actual Tony's, Okay, I got my dress. I stopped stressing about that blah blah blah, and I sit in my seat and the show starts. It is fun. Oh, yay. <laughs> it is really fun. Everything before and a lot of everything after, can't stand it. But the but the actual event itself is just like, wow, look where I am. And they're doing these huge numbers, and it's really fun. And 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 so and they call somebody else's name and you're like, that's fine in the moment. Now, later, you kind of go, oh, man. But in that moment, you're just like, I don't care. I'm here. See? So it's very it's a very electric night. But like I said, everything leading up to it, I'd rather peel the skin off my face.
3: That's why I also I kind of wanted to know I, to I was curious about it because I feel like once everything is always different. Like once you get there, it's like you thought it was this thing. And then it's
0: it's never what you think.
3: It's never the thing that you think it's gonna be. No, ever. 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 <laughs> ever in life. <laughs> yeah, in life, in it's general.
0: So amazing. Exactly. It's like it just just never what you think it's gonna be.
3: If you could go back to your child self, whichever, even that six-year-old that loved that being on stage, uh-huh. or maybe as a seventeen-year-old watching those um four members work and you being at remains basically at the beginning of this chosen path and you could say anything to that child what would you say i don't
0: think i'd say anything to the child because the child was having a blast and didn't need anything you know what i mean was just like oh good i get to do another play um i would say to my young actor self I guess it's probably uh, professionally my biggest regret is to have spent too much time thinking that I should be somewhere else. And I should be at a different level than I am right now. Right. So I'm comparing myself to other people. I'm comparing myself to, well, she got a movie or she's on Broadway. Or she's working at the Goodman. um, I spent too much time thinking I have to, I have to step, I have to, I should be somewhere else. And that's a pressure that is a waste of time. Because uh, things happened when they were supposed to happen. And it will never be in your timeline. It never is. I don't think it's in anybody's timeline. It's either too fast or too slow. It's never exactly like, and I knew that at this point I would be doing <laughs> this. But it's hard to have faith in in the fact that you're where you're supposed to be. But just know if you, if you don't have faith in that, you're spending too much time on something that you have no control over. Um, that is going to make you crazy. It'll just make you crazy. Uh, You know, I feel really lucky that August Osage County happened in my late forties, that I got a chance to do this unbelievable role then, because then I was able to take everything else in stride. I wasn't 20 up for a Tony um, thinking, okay, this, the, it's, it's just going to go up from here. I knew August Osage County was the top. I mm. was going to go down from there, and I was completely <laughs> fine with that. <it. laughs> and I do mean, prof- I, I, I mean, artistically, I don't mean like financially or what I, anything like that. But I, I knew that I just don't know that it gets any better than this, what I am doing right now. And I remember being grateful for every moment, even though there were at least four shows a week I didn't want to do. (laughs) But I do remember being grateful and being old enough to be grateful.
3: That was so healing. Okay, a ver. What's the most valuable thing or lesson a loved one has taught you?
0: You know, my husband has this amazing ability to concentrate on what's important really quickly and I don't and whereas I'll panic about the emergency right in front of me he will go that's not the important thing and and that that um that also bleeds over into directing a play or acting in a play I'll be fretting about something and talking to him about it and he'll go but but wait that's not the important thing this is the important thing and I'll go oh fuck you're right so I feel really grateful that I, that I married the right person. <laughs> it's so funny. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, we also drive each other crazy. It's COVID. What are you <laughs> going to do? We've seen each other so much. But, um, but I have to say I learned from him very much.
3: So this podcast is called Half Hour because it honors- You only get a you half You only hour. get those 30 minutes unless you're like me, <laughs> who show up two hours before. I do too. So what is your half hour process like? Well,
0: first of all, you know, the half hour is the entire day. It's not like you wake up and go, you know what? I'm going to go sledding, <laughs> snowshoeing, and then do the play tonight. You don't do any <laughs> of those things. I don't. I wake up and go- Shit, (laughs) do a show tonight, and then I and then the day is paced around that. Absolutely. Now it might have I might have ignored it a little bit more when I was younger and had more energy, but but it is something that is in it is the primary focus of your day, and so everything um, is informed by that that you do. So depending on the role, depending on the play, I mean, August Osage County and Virginia Wolf, that was, you know, uh, you don't do anything during the day. Those, those took it out of you and you had to make sure you were prepared for the next day mentally and physically and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I, I lay low, I lay low all day. And then I get to the, um, theater at least an hour before showtime, usually hour and a half. 'Cause I just gotta. Um, and I and I get in there and I pour a cup of coffee and I say hi to people that are around. I'm usually the first one there. And I sit at my little table and I start to like slowly put on makeup and, you know, shit like that. I do it at A leisurely pace, because I don't like feeling rushed before I go on stage. It doesn't, it doesn't, I need to be there. I need to commune with myself in
3: the theater. Five minutes till top of show. This is your five minute call. Five minutes, please. Five minutes. All right, Amy Martin. we're here. We're at the lightning round. Oh, there's a lightning round? There's a lightning round. And this is just like... Off the top of your head. Uh-oh. What was your welcome to Steppenwolf moment?
0: My welcome to Steppenwolf moment was Terry Kinney walking up to me during rehearsals of Streetcar Named Desire. I played Eunice. And him walking up to me going, do you want to be a member of the company? Do you? Th- I think it would be a good <laughs> idea. And I was like, ah. like that. That was my welcome that was kind of my welcome to. And I was just, I, seriously, I was just
3: like, I, I was frozen the rest oh of the day. It kind God. of went like that. No. Yeah. Yeah. What job didn't you get that broke your heart?
0: So many, but they break my heart in the
3: moment. Nothing that has
0: scarred my heart or that I still regret. Um, I can't even. Oh, I completely blew the audition. The second audition for. Um, oh, shit. What's the name of the sea? Look, I can't even remember. The name. Broadcast news. I completely blew like the first audition. First of all, when they fly you out for an audition, it it's really not a good thing because it makes you. It makes you too nervous and it makes you think it's more than an audition. Mm-hmm. And it's not. Mm. It's just that either the director or a casting director saw you in a play and was like, hey, she should be seen, which is what this was. So I got flown to California for the audition and it went really well. Um, And then I got the call back like three weeks later, come in again, and I blew the call back so fucking badly. I was so bad. And it's not so much that I didn't get the role. It's that I was so bad and I knew I was so bad. And I could see it in the director's face that he was just like, get her out of here. Yeah, mm-hmm. that that one that one hurt for a, for a while, but clearly not so much anymore because I couldn't.
3: What animal do you most identify with?
0: Well, dogs. I just, I'm a dog freak. I don't have one, but I love them so much.
3: Yeah. What's your most prized piece of play memorabilia or your favorite costume that you've ever worn?
0: Ooh. hmm All the costumes in Royal Family were a joy to wear. Oh, they were all custom made. They were all 1920s, teens, 20s, gorgeous, just Stunning, those were, those were absolutely, those were my favorite costumes ever.
3: Who is your actor crush or inspiration right now?
0: Um, Olivia Colman. And, well, my one of my huge crushes has always been Forrest Whitaker. Mm-hmm. There is something about his acting that breaks my heart. And I don't know why. And it's something about his face that I just, I don't know. I just think he's really, really good and undervalued as an actor.
3: What do you daydream about?
0: I, I, I at, at this point, going to a damn restaurant. Girl, speak it. Yep. There's a couple in my neighborhood that I just love and I miss it. I miss Hugging my family I, I so much. Um, that's what I daydream about the most, just being the, actually able to see people face-to-face and touch them and then go get some damn oysters. <laughs> that's how, that's how I feel.
3: <laughs> a ver. If you had a superpower, what would it be?
0: Ooh. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, who doesn't want to fly? But it's, it's not very useful. It's just not useful enough.
3: Wouldn't you be scared, though? I'd be scared, Amy.
0: No. God, can you imagine being able to fly places? <laughs> Jesus. First of all, it'd be so great not to ever have to step in an airport again. <laughs> ah, or sit on a damn plane. Jesus. Uh, I think you know what the best superpower would be to heal. That's me being really altruistic and kind, but I think ultimately
3: I want to fly. (laughs) You can have both. (laughs) You can have both.
0: I'm I'm a flying healer.
3: (laughs) 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 Just give me an hour. I'll be right there. Okay. yeah. Yeah. Um, what is one thing you do every day? Well, you know, it's,
0: this is such an extreme time that it feels like I do the same thing every day. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I do the same damn thing every day. And I'm like, okay, now I'm, now I'm going to read my book for a while. <laughs> and now I'm going to do this jigsaw puzzle for a while. You know, this is the great, you know, this is what I feel really lucky about. Because you, you, you want to go out and help. I want to go out and help so bad. But I'm, I can't. I'm of an age and a predisposed condition that is like you can't, you can't go near the people. But I, 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 during this whole thing, it's, I think that's one of the hardest things is to feel unuseful. Do you know what I mean? The thing that we do really well that, that can help people, quite frankly, watching us. We, we can't really do in the way that is the most impactful. So that sucks. Uh, and I think your question was, what do I do every day? <laughs> I think, I think I get bummed out every <laughs> fucking day. For real.
3: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Favorite place. Maybe this is not the question for right now but favorite place to unwind in chicago maybe pre covid
0: there there's a park near here called horner park that they over the last it took them like 4 years to build up the the banks of the river um into like a nature park that you can mm. walk along the banks and it's all indigenous plants and it's glorious. It's really beautiful. And you wouldn't know you're in the city when you're walking along the river. And so that, I, lo- I love to be there, to unwind.
3: If you were a character in a play, what would your character's description be?
0: <laughs> Sitting down. One scene. I walk in. I say the funniest, most profound thing that anybody has ever heard, and then I walk off. Ta-da! <laughs> and I don't have to be at Curtain Call. <laughs> <laughs> there you go! <laughs>
3: places everyone. This is your Palaces Call. Places, please, for the top of the show. This is your palaces
1: call. Police's please. Thank you. Oh my gosh, Amy is just the best. Oh, the oh man, How hilarious
3: was that last answer? Oh my gosh. Just
2: killer, killer. I I have to say I it always um heartens me and and kind of builds me up to hear like people who I look at as like honestly acting icons um mm-hmm. talk about the times where things don't go so great mm-hmm. and when they have kind of, um, you know, all of us actors kind of have that kind of crisis of confidence at some point. And to hear her be so honest about it, you know, particularly as far as talking about Virginia Woolf, uh, it, it really it makes me feel like, oh, OK, I go through that and and, and someone like her goes through that, too. OK, I, I got to just buck up and do what I got to do. Mm-hmm. It's very in- inspiring
1: when she's talking about recognizing those moments when that thing that you wanted wasn't meant for you girl it's such a good reminder because i think that just as human beings we can get stuck in this why not me or what about me" loop and to just be reminded that when something is meant for you it's going to find you Mm -hmm.
3: yeah that was my favorite part too there was something very healing about that i mean i don't know you know it's very hard to put into practice but to have faith that like this idea that The way you want your timeline to happen is never going to happen like that. Mm -hmm. So just sit down and enjoy the ride.
2: So Amy also sent us some pictures of her from those early days that we will share (laughs) on social media. Um, So be on the lookout for those.
1: And I hate to say but that's our time for today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Half Hour, brought to you by Steppenwolf Theater Company. And thanks again to our guest this week, Amy Morton.
2: Today's episode was generously sponsored by Michelle Kenner.
1: Steppenwolf Now memberships are just $75. And for a limited time, we're extending an exclusive deal just for Half Hour listeners. $25 off when you use the code HALFHOUR at Steppenwolf.org backslash now.
2: The theme music for Half Hour is by Michael Bodine and Rob Milburn. Rob, it's worth mentioning as Amy's very talented husband.
1: The voice of this episode's stage manager was Christine D. Freeberg. Special thanks to Aaron Cook, Joel Mormon, Kara
3: Henry, Christopher Hueser, Kristen Adams, Madeline Lawn, Corinne Florentino,
2: and all the folks
1: at Steppenwolf. You can follow us on Twitter at SteppenwolfTHTR or on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always get in touch by emailing at steppenwolf.org.
2: We love, 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 love email from our listeners. So if you email us, I, we guarantee you we will respond.
1: And in just two short weeks, we're going to be back with a conversation with ensemble member Rajiv Joseph.
2: Till next time, this is James Benson Meredith,
1: Caroline Neff, and Karen Rodriguez. A lifetime
3: to engage, half hour to places.